Welcome back to another Egg Watchers, folks. Uh, you just got myself and Andrew Watlaw today. We thought we'd put out a little quick summary of the market and also now that we've um, finally got a result on the US election, we'll cover off on that and uh, maybe a little bit about uh, what's been going on in the uh, whole trade space with the um, China-Australia tensions. Andrew, how's things? Historic day, isn't it? Oh, historic times. We've uh, we've got a new president or president-elect. Uh, we've got historic times with Scotland football team getting into the through the Euro qualifiers. First time in a major tournament since since I was a, a young boy, since I was 10, I think. So it's historic times. You know, you might not see me next June. It's all, or, or you might not see me sober next June. Is that another? So is that another surprise upset? Um, you know, with the Chinese team, uh, with, with the Scot- Scottish team winning uh, and, and making their way into the uh, Euro finals. So is that um, is that just as surprising as the Biden victory to you, Andrew? Because I know you were. That's that's more surprising. Is it? Like for Scotland to win anything is surprising, but but to do it in typical Scottish fashion to be winning the game right up until the last 18 seconds for then uh, Serbia to score a goal to put it into extra time mm. nail biting 15 minutes of extra time followed by penalties like my heartbeat was you know bursting out my chest this morning as I was listening on a on the radio the um I did know I, I knew uh, I was checking Twitter in the morning and I saw a, a tweet come through saying stop the count one nil you know Scotland Serbia uh, that made me chuckle a little bit you know with the reference to the the political election uh, yeah so I followed, kind of got followed, followed by Scotland would have won if it was based on legal goals yeah that's it. <laughs> the uh, anyway let's let's move on there's probably zero listeners who are interested in Scottish football um, no your mum your mum if you can uh, we didn't go that far to be honest um so yeah i was well was i wrong with my with my discussions last week that trump would win that i thought he would win look again we'll, we'll base it on legal votes did he win did he lose i've, I've still got my betting slip just in case but have they have they like some of the betting agencies haven't paid out yet i know there was one that called it early but um I did see a report today that um, there's a whole few, a whole lot that are still waiting to to see the result of all the contested states and. Well, it's well technically like a lot of the betting slips are actually when he comes into office, which is not until 21st of of January, I think it's because there's actually I did consider and it's a bit morbid, but I did consider putting a couple of dollars on the next president being a woman. Because there is obviously a chance that by the time the confirmation comes through, that it could be Kamala Harris. Who knows? At that age, <laughs> I don't know. Biden, Biden was looking pretty, uh, pretty fit and healthy when he ran up. And I know my daughter was looking, and, and she was impressed at him running up on stage, looking pretty active for a 78-year-old. So I reckon he's, um, I reckon he'll get in. And, and yeah, the interesting thing was be. Um, you know, what's going to, yeah, what are we going to get in terms of signals prior to him becoming the president uh, as to how they're going to deal with some of these big issues like, um, you know, the trade one deal and, you know, the whole diplomatic and trade relations with China. I think that's, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what they do, but it's also going to be interesting to see how how that's going to um, play out for, for Australia and for agriculture. And I reckon that that's going to be the biggest thing for us, really, is that relationship with, with China. 
because we've had that phase one deal which Trump negotiated, which has really that's really turned the tables on ag trade this year in, in, in a massive way. And I think China has already made some motions that they want to renegotiate that. And you know, what what's your view? What's the relationship going to be like with a, a Biden Biden US versus a, a Trump US and China? Mm. I think it, it, it's probably would be no surprise to people that we're going to go back to a much more normal, uh, normal diplomatic style and normal. You know, there won't be the rhetoric that we've had from Trump. There won't. There probably is going to be less protectionism, I think, um, and back to a more you know push towards that. You know, we were heading with free trade and free trade agreements, and um, so and, and a much more predictable pattern um, is, I think, what's going to happen. So, you know, do you that, think that, so? But do you do you think that the, the China genie is not out of the bottle now? You know, we've got you know still a large number of Republicans in in the Senate and in the House. Still, you know, what is a three percent margin that he's won by? So it's not it's not massive, and considering mm. that is the largest number of voters in 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 history, I don't know whether the actual relationship with China. I think it will improve. But I think there'll be. It won't just. Be, it won't turn from being a sort of uh, anti-Chinese sentiment to uh, a lovey-dovey, you know, relationship with China. I think that's. It's potentially that relationship may be a little bit soured. Mm, no, probably. You're probably right there. I was kind of thinking of it from the context of an Australian, from an Australian perspective. That what is it? If they, if because you know we we can we all we all have seen how. The Trump administration has handled the last, you know, four years nearly, um, and the unpredictability of how he how he kind of operated, well, I think, was problematic for countries like Australia, that's both an ally to the U.S. politically. Uh, you know, we trade with the U.S. particularly in, in, in some key, you know, com- some key commodities, um, but then we're obviously very, very much in, um, in, in, you know, kind of long-standing and strong trade relationship with China, um, but we don't have the you know the political um, tensions are there with China, uh, but they're you know our most important trade partner. So the, I think it's more the dynamic of um, how how that how that's going to play out and oh, how I it's going to impact I think, Australia. I think the discourse between the two nations will potentially be better, but I, look, it's going to be really. I think, that, but I still think probably the thing impacting us, a phase one deal. Mm, yeah, and and that relationship with. With, with between us and China just seems to be quite quite cold and frosty at the moment. You know, we what what was the news yesterday? Timber. Yeah, correct. And that's my concern is, and I'm thinking of it from like what I've seen in the in the beef space this year. You know, if you look back to historically how much the US were able to get what's into China. Um, they the, the US used to be less than one percent of Chinese beef imports historically, um, and and that was since the phase one deal, um, and they changed some of the requirements around the additives the US used in the feedlot. That's allowed them to you know, it's opened up a little bit. Um, it, it took a bit of time coming, but the last few months actually, and and actually since since um we've seen <coughs> issues with, uh, with with abattoirs, there's four beef abattoirs in Australia, and we've ha- we've hit the We've hit the um, the safeguard limit 
this year for our beef to China such that the you know the tariff went up from 4.8% to 12% and plus we've got the most expensive beef in the world at the moment high Aussie dollar all of those factors have meant we're not sending as much now to China in the last quarter of this year but they have clearly they've gone I think if you look at the last couple of months worth of um, US imports of beef into China they've increased significantly um, and and they're nearly on a month by month basis if you look at just the monthly figures they're nearly as uh, high as what the US send to Canada. And Canada's a huge kind of trade partner in beef with the US. So um, I, I'm, I'm actually surprised at how quickly um, the US have began to penetrate. And they're, and they're one competitor. Like we know that Brazil already send, you know, if you look at Chinese beef imports, Brazil send about 30, um, they, they constitute about 30% of the Chinese beef imports. So they're the biggest one. And then um, it's Argentina behind them. And then Australia comes in at about 15% or so of imports into China. And, and like I said, the US used to be 1%. Um, whereas um, if they can maintain this most recent monthly figures and, and continue it through into next year and, 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 and they've got a foothold into that into that space, um, and, and, and then their relationship diplomatic with the Biden administration improves, and, you know, I'm just worried that for some commodities like beef, um, does, does China take the view that, all right, we, we've got this US. The US kind of product is an equivalent type, good quality, you know, high, high value kind of product you know, that, that Australia would normally send. So they're more of a competitor to us in China than Brazil is. Um, do they say, well, we can just substitute and, and, and hang Australia out to dry and, and, and make an example of them in some commodities? You know, those commodities whereby um, the Chinese don't have to come to us for it. You know, like obviously wool, they're not going to get wool from any other place around the world. For sheep meat, they've really only got New Zealand. Um, so they have to kind of keep taking our sheep. They don't have to keep taking our beef. They don't have to keep taking and, our timber. But it's, in, it's interesting you say about the sheep meat, though, because China has just invested a couple of billion in Sudan. Yep. With the specific purpose of being able to export sheep from there. Yeah. Yep. Which is an interesting one. Mm. But but going back to like the timber, mm. so we've seen that timber's been banned. But that was that was actually wasn't a match the surprise to us. No, no. Well, the, well like I said, we, you know, we presented we presented what last year a couple of times, or was it early in the year? Um, I was. To, I think it was. Yeah, it was January when the phase one deal had just come around. Mm -hmm. We'd created a list of all the products we thought were at risk. Yes. And and timber was up there. Yes, it was. Yeah, and correct. Along with uh, what was the other ones that we had as a risk? Uh, seafood. Barley was a risk. Yep. Lobster was a risk. Yep. Seafood. Hi high value beef, I think, was a risk. Was it? Uh, oh, we no. Well, no, no. High, high value was a risk for COVID. Sorry. Yep, but it was yeah. The, the beef, the beef space, or at least the red meat space, um, was was I think going to be reasonably well support protected and, and supported. Um, and wine. Yeah, wine was a risk. Yeah. So, yeah. so we've sort of. And we talked about wool as well. You said wool was that one? Almonds was another one. Correct. Which we haven't yet seen any issue with. But we're sort of, what, four for six? <laughs> and that's not bad. Yeah. Well, well, we'll take that one and we'll we'll throw the Trump, you know, election prediction out the window. We'll say that, you know, you can get one wrong every now and then. Mm. Yeah, I think, look, dairy, I think dairy was the final one. So there was a few there and, you know, some significant some significant ones and i think and, the, and, the, and that, that methodology was based off of you know us being a major supplier but also the us being a major supplier yeah it was those so, markets yeah those markets where they had um the us as a, as a viable alternative uh so they could basically 
anything they took from Australia. And, and almonds is a great example because you had, you know, hist- historically before the growth of the almond sector in Australia, it, China was pretty much exclusively taking all their almonds um, you know, imported from the US. And, and over time, Australia's managed to get a bit of a foothold into that market. And, and it's been what's been driving the growth in the almond sector within Australia. So, um, you know, they could very quickly switch back to mostly US product and that would be a, what is it? I think Chinese... Chinese constitute is it 20 or 30 percent of our arm and ex, total arm and exports or something like that? Something like that, yeah. yeah. But, it, but it, it was only three or four years ago that it was like two percent. Yeah, so big growth and 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 you know you, you can when you have that kind of acceleration in market share um, and then you get these disruptions, you can fall back again fairly quickly from yeah. To, Follow a favour fairly quickly. So mm-hmm. the next one is uh, is wheat, Aussie wheat to be banned, and that. I'm still on the fence. I still think it's it's still rumours and conjecture, so there's no point being, you know, jumping at the shadows too much. But mm. I thought it was worthwhile talking about. Well, what is the actual risk? Yeah, that's if, what I was. That's what I was thinking was with wheat. Like we know with barley, that was a huge one. But um, is is kind of China a big a big customer of ours for wheat when it comes to the more you know, the global context and how much we send elsewhere as an export? And that's that's a funny one. Everyone thinks that China. You know, China, China, China. It's uh, it's a big bar of a lot of things, but it isn't a big bar of wheat historically. And look, we they are an important customer. There's no there's no sort of denying that they're they're important. All all customers are important. But when we look at like China as a percentage of our overall exports of wheat, you're talking generally sub ten percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas with barley, you're talking we're having probably an average of 60% in the last half of that decade. Which, and we've seen some years where they've been you know, closer to 85% of our barley exports have gone to China. So clearly we're a lot more diversified than wheat. Uh, but what, what I think is most interesting about it is that when we do supply China or when, when China is an importer, they prioritize us now, and largely it's due to quality reasons and so even though we're they're only sort of you know sub 10 percent you know we contribute at times 30 40 60 percent at times of their overall imports so mm. it's an interesting one because they clearly do favor it we've got a geographic advantage and, and a quality advantage However, I just think it's, you know, we'll find another home for that 6% quite easily. I guess the annoying thing about it is we're coming into a year where China is a big buyer of wheat Mm. compared to normal years. And we're going to have a big export program for if that does get shut down, then it's a hindrance. But again, you know, it is still in the rumor phase and we'll just see, see what happens. But Look, it's nowhere near as big an impact as 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 the barley trade being being scrapped into. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I guess it's it's another sign, like it was tariffs, you know, and, and other sort of non-tariff um, restrictions. They're just an irritant. No peas, you know, we're effectively banned from sending peas to India, which is pretty much taking away most of our exportable trade in peas, and you know. We've gone really in the last five years from being a free trade 
moving towards a free trade world to what is more and more becoming sort of protectionist. And it's not just, let's be honest, it's not just Trump who's brought that about. You know, we've got the same in the UK. We've got Modi in India. We've got well, Turkey's got a lot of, you know, protectionist policies. China. Mm. It's maybe just the phase we're going through. Oh, that's true. And with, with COVID and the economic downturn, it's no, no surprise that through that economic downturn phases, you often see a, a bit of a lurch towards more protectionism. It's just one of those knee-jerk reactions. But, um, well, I wonder, I wonder if a lot of protectionism came from the 2008 GFC and it was just filtering through over the last decade. Mm. And this current phase of the downturn is probably not going to help. Yeah, that's a curious one we see in some circles. In some circles in Australia, you've got people that are quite protectionist in their views, and, and I just don't think they realise how much, with our small population of you know, 25 million, how much uh, not just agriculture but other industries rely on, on what we offer, whether it's you know, product or services like education or tourism, to the to the rest of the world. Um, well, some, we, some, somebody commented to me the other day that, we should stop selling our wheat overseas anyway. <laughs> and then I sort of pointed yeah. out that we've probably got about, you know, in Western Australia, you've got four and a half tonnes of barley and wheat combined for each person. Mm. And although you can eat a lot of bread, you can't eat four four tonnes of bread and beer. No, exactly. And uh, beef, like uh, beef and beef and now more recently sheep meat. So you look at those export figures. What is, what is, it, what is our domestic demand for beef? In percentage terms. Yeah, yeah, or like, yeah, much, like, like yeah, I know it's we, about, we, yeah, we, it ranges between 25 to 30 percent of what we make and what we produce in beef we eat domestically. Um, and so, yeah, it's 70 to 75 percent exported. And in recent years, sheep and lamb meat is the, about the same, you know, between 70 to 75 percent. So, both of those red meat markets are heavily export focused. Um, Which is and the same, same on all grains, exactly. As well. Yeah. Yeah, so, and, and that's not just, you know, it's across all commodities. We we are very much reliant and our our, our kind of wealth, um, our wealth within this country is on a per capita basis is, is very much geared towards um, free trade and, and, and active kind of markets, uh, you know, active involvement in those markets. So it's, it's a concern. Um, and that's the curious thing with the, with the whole Biden uh, win, there are some positives in that from an Australian perspective in terms of those, you know, normalisation of diplomacy and but, trade. But, but, but the Democrats are not, are probably traditionally more protectionist than the Republicans, are they not? Um, yeah, look, they're probably... Because, maybe, because Trump wasn't necessarily all that aligned with traditional Republican um, belief systems. Mm. My, my my kind of next concern is is kind of around with, with Biden getting in, which I, I broadly I think is a good thing. Um, but from a from a if I look at it from just a red meat perspective and particularly sheep meat, um, we we um, send a lot of Australian lamb to the US. Uh, it's a, it's a big market, second biggest market I think for lamb uh, for us. Uh, and when you look at where that lamb goes in the US, 60% of our lamb exports to the US go to the food service sector and 60% of those go into the high end, high value restaurants. So mm. a big chunk of it right now, if Biden gets in and he's going to, you know, obviously <clears throat> have to take, unless we get a vaccine real quick, um, he has to take this whole COVID spread into consideration and uh, he's going to obviously be more likely to go into it. I don't think we're going to see a Trump administration go back to a lockdown at any stage, um, but certainly the Biden one will. And if it does, it might be a a pretty strict lockdown for a long period of time, a bit like the, you know, the Victorian example, maybe. Um, 
if that's the case, uh, and given the amount of spread there, they're going to probably have to go for longer than Victoria did to get it under control, unless there's a unless there's a vaccine. Um, you could have you could have the case that you know American food service sector gets shut down for six months. That's going to be that's not going to be good for our fat lamb, fat lamb but producers. But having a lockdown in the US, if you had a national lockdown in the US for even a month, then that would mess up China as well. Mm. Because it'd be a, there'd be a flow-on effect to everyone because of the fact that you know those food services jobs, which are a, a large employer, will mm. after six, after a month, a lot of them would go, and and we know that like the data shows that the average Australian doesn't have a lot of money. Mm. They're, they're actually a relatively poor country. You said average American, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah compared to an Australian or or mm. even a. a, a British or French or German, yeah, relatively poor. Yeah, well, I think you, yeah, it's the distribution. So if you look at it on a per capita basis, their per capita wage is quite high and similar to Australian. But if but the, the if you look at it, the distribution amongst classes, you've mm. got a much more you've got a lot of people that have got yeah, a lot more yeah. money and there a was, lot of people that got less was, money. There was something I read somewhere that I can't remember the percentage, but it was a high percentage of people only had five hundred dollars yeah yeah available to them yeah 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 when Which, you're looking at like, like measuring that kind of global or, or, or equality across different nations in terms of income sharing of income there's I think something called I think the Gini coefficient which which tells you how fairly they distribute their wealth so you, you know when you're looking at a measure of wealth per capita there's the headline figure of this is how much the GDP is per capita or the you know the income per capita uh, and you can compare countries, but then you look at this Gini coefficient, it tells you how much of that is shared amongst the population fairly or evenly. Um, and so countries like Sweden, and you know, they've got a high social um, concern and they make sure that it's a pretty fair spread, whereas it's probably, you know, not quite as, um, not quite as socially, um, uh, you know, kind of in line with the, with the Scandi countries. But when you compare us to America, America are much more capitalist and, and so that, the difference between the the gap between the low income people in America and the high income people is quite wide, not as wide as what we have in Australia. So, um, and that's probably what you're referring to. There's a lot of people in America yeah. that are on, on the poverty line. Yeah, but we but Biden's going to fix that. The minimum <laughs> wage is going to double and whatnot. I will look on in four years and see how he's done. Mm. That's that's probably a good wrap for it. It's a case of we shall see what happens. We shall see if uh, if Trump's legal challenges get him anywhere, and we shall see if he stands for 2024 or or one of his sons. No worries, sounds good. Right up, we'll leave it there. Thanks for listening, all, and we'll be back next week. See you when you got nothing on. Bye bye. <laughs>